Well, I heard a cute story recently about a mom who had put her toddler down for the night, put him in bed, and then overheard him having a conversation with Alexa. Now, you all probably know Alexa is the smart speaker that you can give commands to. You can tell it to play music or go grocery shopping for you, um, tell it to check the weather. Alexa's a great feature in a lot of homes. And so the mom posted this cute little video on social media, and it's gone viral because it's pretty precious. The toddler obviously had heard his parents giving Alexa commands, and so he was mimicking this, and he said, and they, they had a little video monitor, by the way, so you could see him, too, laying in his little bed, and he lifts his head, and he says, Alexa, I need daddy. Alexa responds, please repeat that. What do you need? And the little boy goes, daddy. Alexa says, okay, I've added daddy to your shopping cart. Is there anything else? And I love this, the little boy thinks for a minute, and he pauses and then he goes, um, no. Alexa says, okay, goodbye. And then the baby monitor video shows this little toddler just sort of lays his head back on the pillow, satisfied, daddy will come. Meanwhile, his parents are dying laughing as they're listening to this, uh, you know, captured all on the baby monitor, overhearing the entire exchange. It's really pretty adorable. And if I were that dad, I have to think that I'd be pretty tickled too, because it was an irresistible request. Well, today's scripture is also about overhearing someone's fervent request. What we heard this morning was part of a prayer that Jesus offered on the night before he was killed. He and the disciples had just finished supper. Jesus had washed the feet of the disciples in an act of service and love. He had commanded them to love one another. While they were relaxing after dinner, Jesus told them he wouldn't be here for much longer, but he said, let not your hearts be troubled. He told them that he would leave them with the Holy Spirit, the advocate who would guide them. He told them stories about faith and grief and joy. It was a night of fellowship and meaningful conversation, much of which is recorded in the Gospel of John in chapters 13 through 16. And then at the beginning of chapter 17, Jesus finishes speaking to them. And scripture says, when he was finished saying all of these things, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And this is one of those phrases that we have a tendency to gloss right over. We see it as unimportant or just a detail before we get to the heart of the matter. Because Jesus prayed a lot, of course. So we move past it. We're eager to get to the next thing. Well, what's he going to say? And we will get there. But those few words at the beginning of chapter 17 are foundational to the whole message today. Those words, when Jesus finished speaking, he looked toward heaven and prayed, tell us that this is something different. 
This is not Jesus going up onto a mountain alone to pray. This is not Jesus pouring out his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane while the disciples nap. Jesus prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He prayed and, and blessed the people as he blessed the bread and the fish when he fed the multitudes of people before they ate. But this is not that. This prayer is Jesus in the presence of his closest friends, reclined after dinner, the dishes are still on the table, the wine is half drunk, their bellies and their hearts are sated. And in the comfortable ease of that togetherness, Jesus simply looks upward and begins. It's a prayer full of love and longing, and he allows the disciples to listen in. Father, the hour has come. That's how he starts. The hour has come that everything is about to be different. Everything will become crystal clear because Jesus knows as soon as he walks out those doors, leaves the comfort of that sacred space between friends, that he will be arrested and things will be set in motion that cannot be undone. The prayer that Jesus offers is so poignant because he knows it's not just he who will suffer, but his disciples for him. This prayer is for them. In pondering Jesus' words this week, I couldn't help but think that it was kind of a proactive thoughts and prayers kind of thing. You know, so often that when tragedy strikes or when someone experiences a great loss or someone close to us is going through a challenging time, we say to them, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And nowadays, you might even just see uh, a little praying hands emoji posted on social media. It's become so commonplace on social media, in fact, or some version of that at least, that it's become somewhat cliche to offer thoughts and prayers. But what Jesus is teaching us here today is that with intentional thought, our prayers are magnified. They are powerful and grace-filled, and they are humbling to the core. See, if you had a chance to overhear someone's thoughts and prayers for you, not just that they said they would, but you actually got to hear the words that they offered on your behalf, I just think you would feel a deep sense of gratitude and love. That's what the disciples were experiencing that evening after the Last Supper with Jesus. As he lifted his eyes and prayed, they knew his heart. They knew he had their best and highest good as his intention. Now the entire prayer in chapter 17 of John's Gospel is worth reading and rereading over again, and I really encourage you to do that. But I want to take just a, a few key phrases this morning and walk through them together. So first of all, we hear in verse 9 that this prayer is specific. This is for those who are seated right there with him at the Last Supper. His disciples are like family 
So can you imagine the intimacy of that moment with them? The closeness of that scene between friends? Jesus says to them, I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me. How often do we look upon our friends, our co-workers, our community, this community, this congregation, those seated next to you here in a faith community as given to us by God? So this is a very personal prayer meant for Peter, for Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Thomas, Simon, Thaddeus, and probably even Judas, who had already departed to hand Jesus over. Other places in scripture are very clear that Jesus' salvation is for the world. For God so loved the world, we hear in John 3, 16. Jesus died for all people, we hear in the letters of Paul and in the writings of John and, and in Hebrews. So make no mistake that God incarnate in Jesus absolutely has as his intention the best and highest good for all humankind. But this prayer, this was for the 12, which makes it familial, intimate, a, a beautiful glimpse into the vulnerability of being totally present with others and laying the contents of your heart bare to them. Jesus asked God to protect them. He said, I have protected them in your name. I have guarded them here on earth. Now, God, I entrust them to you and your protection. It's a bit like a, a dying prayer, a dying parent might pray on their deathbed in many ways. What I can no longer do, I entrust to you. I ask of you now, God. The next thing that Jesus did is one of my favorites. It may seem bizarre, given the fact that with the passage of each moment, he's moving closer and closer to his crucifixion, and yet he prays this. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. Now Jesus knows the disciples are scared. They're anxious. They're worried about what is right outside their door. The mob hasn't yet come to get them, but it's forming, and they know it. There's a sense of foreboding already in the upper room. And if they can't quite put their fingers on it yet, well, the hairs on the backs of their neck are definitely at full attention. So how then, why would Jesus speak about his death, tell them that they will weep and mourn, even as the world is showing its malice by rejoicing in the crucifixion? How can he tell them all of these things and then say that he has done so so that they might have joy? Well, in our darkest times, we often can't fathom that the light will overcome that darkness, yet alone ever be joyful again. But Jesus is making all things new. 
The resurrection was and is the biggest thing that the world has ever seen. It changed everything. It brought hope not just for our eternal lives, but hope for tomorrow, for the circumstances that we're living in right now. Being human rightly means we're going to experience some pain. But being followers of Jesus means we have a spirit within us that is sustaining, that strengthens us. So Jesus proclaimed that to the, to the disciples. He spoke these things in the world so that they would know despite their trials, despite what they were experiencing right then, joy always returns. It is a deep and abiding presence. And Jesus will need the disciples to have that joy. He will need to rely on them to be all in in the days ahead, full of God's joy and fully present in the world when he is not. There is work to be done. He needs all of them. Next, Jesus turns to the words that are at once ominous and comforting. He said, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. People often wince at the word evil, as though the sound of it on the tongue is distasteful. There are people who don't even want to believe that evil exists, maybe because perhaps naming it gives it some more power. But Jesus names it for us. Protect them from evil, God. Place your blanket of protection over my beloveds. And this is also, of course, very familiar, very similar to the prayer that Jesus taught us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is serious about helping us steer clear of anything that might harm us. It's also noteworthy that Jesus says to God, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. He's not asking that they ascend to heaven with him or that they be spared some indignity of human life. Leave them be, he says. Let them enjoy the goodness of this great life in human flesh. Let them eat, drink, and be merry. Let them know the bonds of friendship. Let them know the restful peace of sitting next to a stream or a mountain. Let them cry over the brokenness of the world, even as they work to repair it. Let them be dazzled by sunsets and babies and let them know great love for one another and protect them from evil. Jesus uses another familiar word from the Lord's Prayer, too. He says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify here is the same word as hallow. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Sacred is your name. Sanctified is your name. So Jesus is asking that we be made holy by following in God's truth. In other places in scripture, Jesus described himself 
as sanctified by God and sent into the world. And now he's asking God to do the same for the disciples. On the eve of being sent into the world on his behalf, Jesus asks that they too be made holy. This is another form of protection also. We guard ourselves from evil by being in relationship with God who sanctifies us. So these are just a few of the highlights of what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer because it resembles the prayer of a pastor praying for her congregation. It's a heartfelt prayer of a leader. I have been reading a lot about courageous leadership, great leadership lately, and how some of the truly great leaders throughout history have the well-being of their followers always top of mind, especially in times of crisis. What great leaders have in common is that they are thoughtful, measured, contemplative, yet they also have a way of lifting everyone's spirits taking care to ease people's anxieties and burdens, and always keeping their eye on the end goal. They guide and care for their people as they navigate together through challenging times. Now, we follow the ultimate leader in Jesus, and his care for us is not just in this moment or that moment, but it's eternal. It is forever and always a few minutes ago, I said that this prayer for the disciples around the supper table was a prayer not just for the disciples. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I did not say that. I said that this prayer was not for the world, but for the disciples. And that is true. But there is more to the story. This is a prayer for all of us. In verse 20 of this passage in John, Jesus asked God to expand his blessing. He says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. We are part of that unbroken chain of believers whom Jesus prayed so fervently for. We are the beneficiaries of God's protection against evil, of God's guidance and care and sanctity, thanks to the loving leadership of Jesus. Jesus finally closes out this prayer with yet another petition on our behalf that God's love remain in the disciples and that they be filled with the full measure of joy. And with that, he leads his frightened band of followers out into the night and to his appointment with death. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I knew anyone on earth that came anything close to that kind of leadership, that kind of watchfulness and care for their people, I would follow that person anywhere. But there isn't one. There's only one. The one that has sent us into the world. His works are now in our hands, and Jesus is counting on us to be his presence in his absence. Amen. 
we go forth with his powerful and total blessing. I love that his prayer was not in silence that night, that he departed this world with his disciples knowing then, as we know now, of his deep, deep love for them and for us. He left everything on the table. Jesus knows that this life is a grand and beautiful thing, but he can also attest that the work is daunting. So go forth knowing that his thoughts and his prayers are with you. Amen.